Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Well, Ron, we, we promised we'd delve into mining, and this is a big chew. And right off the get-go, for full disclosure, what I know about mining, you could probably fit on the head of a pin. I know they dig big holes. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. So there's a lot to digest here, isn't there? Yeah, and what we're really trying to do is that because our podcasts are educational, we try to go more beyond just giving a few recommendations. We try to get into the nuts and bolts in the industry. And so you notice in the past, if you go through our archives, you saw that we, we did a three or four-part series on water. I think we did a five-part series on energy. Uh, we did a two- or three-part series on pharmaceuticals. And each one of these sectors has some things that are unique to it, and if you want to be successful investing in them, you have to understand the nuances which make one sector, you have to use a little bit different strategy than another. And that's especially true for the mining industry. Now, the reason we're talking about mining now is because the debate at the moment is whether we're in a normal cycle or we're in a super cycle. And if we're in a super cycle, these kind of investments sort of trump virtually everything else in performance. And these cycles can have upward bull markets of anywhere between 10 and 15 years. And the last time we had a super cycle in the commodity sector, the mining sector specifically, was between about 1998, 1999, and 2012. And you remember back then, gold went from about $250 an ounce to almost uh, $1,900 an ounce. It had a huge move. Other commodities, mining commodities, also had enormous moves. And so since 2012, the sector has been in the tank and has done nothing. But it started to revive recently. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of interest in this. And if investors are going to look at this sector, it's very different in the dynamics that make it work than anything else. So we thought we'd do a three-part series on investing in mining and mining commodities, just simply because if you're going to get into this, this knowledge will help you make money. So here we go. All right, how do you want to start this? So there are basic sectors here, right? Yeah, and so when you're looking at these basic sectors, and they, they here again, there's different drivers. So where we're going to start, we're going to look at precious metals, which include gold, silver, and platinum, palladium. We're also going to look at industrial metals, like iron, copper, nickel, aluminum, and rare earths. And the big push on these right now certainly is the electric vehicle industry. We'll look at construction materials like sand, gravel, and limestone. And we want to pay attention to these because in Canada and the United States, there's big infrastructure programs, and they use a lot of this stuff. There's energy products like coal, bitumen, and especially <clears throat> uranium you want to start paying attention to because there's been renewed interest in uranium as a renewable resource. Thinking about nuclear uh, power plants, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then finally, we've got agricultural minerals like boron, phosphate, and potash, which are used in fertilizers. And here again... If farmers are making money because commodity prices are higher, you'll see uh, the disposable income they have is higher, which means that they can afford more fertilizer, maybe lease more land, 
put more crops um, in circulation, which means more fertilizer. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here, and that's what we're going to try and do over the next three shows. So this is a big sector. So if you want to invest in this area, listen to these shows before you go out and do it. Otherwise, this is a very strange area to invest in, and many of the, the factors that make things buy or sell are frankly counterintuitive. So you want to get educated first. Okay, let's start with precious metals. Well, here, the, the driver for precious metals has simply been the fact that since 1975, the amount of dollars in circulation has increased by 1,600%. The supply of gold has increased by 100% due to mining. So the increase in gold has been far less than the amount of money being printed. And because of unfettered printing of dollars, and runaway debt spending is, you know, inflation. Most analysts, <laughs> yeah. most individuals. I mean, Gord, when you and I talk, we talk about how can this continue? Sooner or later, there's got to be inflation, right? We just did a series on inflation and deflation and stagflation. And yeah, the inflation is the wild card right now, I think. And somebody's about to throw it out there. With uh, $1.9 trillion stimulus packages, as we saw passed uh, just recently in the U.S., and and deficits in Canada, the highest ever recorded, eventually inflation is going to happen, higher interest rates are going to happen, and typically when it does, it's precious metals that do the best. And so what we're going to focus on mostly here is gold, because platinum, palladium especially, are industrial metals, which makes analysis more complicated because there's a lot of other factors affecting their price. But gold is if you want the play, if you want to be very conservative, and if you're willing to be a little bit more aggressive, you can look at, at silver as well. You get an idea of, of how much more zoom there is in silver than gold, because gold's up 11% year over year. Silver's up 49% year over year. But gold is more conservative. Over 10 years, gold's up 3% a year. Over 10 years, Silver is down about 1% per year over the 10-year period. So if you want to be conservative and you just want to have some exposure as an insurance policy, gold for you is probably a better play. If you're a little more aggressive, well, silver probably is the metal to look at. And we can give you a couple examples of, of how to play that. Uh, the first would be a gold bullion ETF. And iShares has one, and that's just an example. If you look at a bullion ETFs, there's lots of them out there to choose from. So what I'm trying to do is just give you an example. This is uh, an ETF that just holds exchange-traded fund that just holds gold bullion, so holds gold bars. Now, the advantage of this one is you can buy it in Canadian dollars, and it trades on a Canadian stock exchange, so you don't have to convert any money. And... Because you're buying it in Canadian dollars, if the Canadian dollar goes up and the U.S. dollar goes down, they use a process called hedging, which is literally in buying insurance, which protects you. Because if you convert to U.S. dollars and then it drops like a tank, you can any money you gain from gold going up can be lost because the, the currency tanks. And usually gold goes up when the currency tanks. So hedging your exposure is really good. Also, you have silver. And 
you can have a silver ETF, which uh, here again buys silver bullion, and it, it's hedged. It's in Canadian dollars. The symbol is SVR, and it also trades on Toronto. So those are two very conservative ways to play this. Now, some people like mining stocks because there's a lot more zoom in mining stocks than there is an ETF because mining stocks have a huge amount of gold that is in the ground that they can mine. So they have what's called leverage. The problem with the mining industry it's expensive. is that... It's expensive, right? It's costly to mine. Oh, it's very costly to mine, and most mines <clears throat> take 8 to 10 years to come on. And you have to be careful what you buy, Gord, because the, it, in the last few years, Western countries with higher environmental standards have made it much more difficult to mine in like Canada, the U.S., Europe. So more and more often, we're seeing mining companies go to places in... Asia, they're going to places South America. The Iron Curtain. Yeah, South America, Russia, all these places which frankly are politically, they're not safe and the rules change all the time. So a couple of players that are, have most of their assets in politically safe jurisdictions are Newmont, uh, which trades in New York, NEM, and uh, another example would be Ignico Eagle Mining, AEM, and that trades on Toronto. So if you're, you want to be more aggressive, go to the politically unsafe regions because there's more Zoom. But if you're a conservative investor, which is the bulk of the listeners on our show, you want to be very cognizant of the fact of where these companies are putting their four stakes in the ground. So there's precious metals covered. Now let's talk about these industrial <coughs> metals. And this one, as you say, Ron, is, is an area that a lot of people have their eye on. I was just talking to a friend the other day who's gung-ho on buying a, a Tesla, right? He... He thinks this is the coming wave, and I guess there's a lot of people feel that way. So those metals are really key in the development of these electric cars, aren't they? These metals play uh, are a huge component in the production of electric cars. And recently, Elon Musk, who's the CEO of Tesla, has been encouraging miners to fast-track production because they say, there just isn't going to be enough of these minerals around when you see electric car usage or electric vehicle usage really start to ramp up. And there's a, a site called mining.com, and if you're trying to get a better understanding of the mining industry, that's a very good place to go. And uh, they put out a spreadsheet which basically looked at what would happen if 20 million electric cars were built every year. That's an order of magnitude beyond what we see today. But you have all the legislation coming in Europe and China and North America that is legislating a certain amount of, of electric vehicles. And within 10 years, 15 years, we'll make the production or the sale of gas-powered vehicles, frankly, uh, the lot. So if we get to 20 million cars a year, graphite usage will go up 94%. Nickel will go up 31%. Lithium will go up 165%. Cobalt usage to meet 20 million cars with a production a year will go up 56%. And then those rare earth magnetic metals, which as they're called, will go up about 39% per year. So 
These are enormous numbers, and if you take a look at just nickel as an example alone, if we get to 20 million cars a year, it will take more than 30% of globally mined nickel production just to meet the demand for batteries. And if you put that in perspective, that would require the entire output of the top six producers worldwide of nickel, which are Norilsk, Bale, Xinchuan, Simatomo, Glencore, BHP, and then some. So the demand could absolutely explode. And that is why so many people are starting to look at this area, because electric vehicles would, could really be a catalyst. But Ron, then the question that pops into my mind is, okay, if they're going to put all this focus on electric cars, what about the other areas of industry that need these metals? They're going to get left by the wayside? Well, here again, the the primary criteria that for investors is that there's a very good chance that demand could exceed supply. And if demand exceeds supply, supply in the mining business is what we call inelastic. In other words, mines take 10 years plus to go from discovery to commercial production, and investment returns have been poor in the mining industry over the last decade. And it's a very cyclical business. And because of that, the mines are having a very, very difficult time to attract investment capital. And mines are expensive to build. The Ambitovia mine in Madagascar cost $8.5 billion, and it will take 23 mines of this size to supply all the nickel that an annual production of 20 million cars would require. Good Lord. And, of course, also affecting supply is political issues. 90% of rare earth supply, for example, comes from China. You know, you need these rare earth metals. They're used in the permanent magnets in these cars. And so if the Cold War gets colder, I mean, China could very easily say, no, we're not going to send you any more of this stuff. And, of course, mining is not environmentally friendly. And people that are buying a car for their green cred, I guess as you call it, will are going to recoil when they discover where the ingredients for their eco-chariots actually come from. Yeah, that's the... For example... That's unbelievable. I mean, the, the mining that goes on in the, and the, in the areas of the, the world where it is mined and the, the labor relations and the human suffering that's attached to it, is, uh, it, just, it, it just doesn't match to me. No, and of course, the eco-warriors are very selective. You know, oil versus mining, uh, they focus their attention on oil, but they're not focusing their attention on mining. And of course, you know, you get high-pressure acid leaching. You get the deep-sea tailings where they vacuum the floor for minerals of the ocean. And, you know, you look at uh, rare earths being mined in China because it's one of the few countries that has lax enough environmental standards to allow uh, mining of these minerals to be profitable. So, you know, if buyers eventually recoil from metal mining like they have from hydrocarbon, well, uh, that is even going to... Uh, enhance and make a lack of supply even more acute, and of course it will push um, industrial metal miners higher. And so you're probably asking the question, well, how do you play? Well, in lithium, you can look at a company, the biggest player in the space is Albert Marley. It trades in New York. It's ALB, 
as an example of a big player. In nickel, you've got BHP and Valet. BHP is BHP, trades on New York. Valet is V-A-L-E, it trades in U.S. And uh, this is the third largest producer, and Valet is the largest producer of nickel. But they're not a pure play, they do other things. If you're looking at copper, well, you might as well play it because typically you find copper with gold, so Newmont's a good play there and a good example of a play there. And you can also look at uh, iShares and look at the Global Base Metals Index. And here again, it trades on Toronto. This is XBM. And so there's lots of examples of how to play this. And if you actually Google this, you'll find page after page after page after page of, of this. But this is a way to start getting exposure to this sector. Okay, we want to take a break in this. We'll come back and focus next on construction minerals when we do our next episode on mining. But let's tie in a question here, Ron, that seems kind of timely. Somebody writes, as a new investor, I appreciate your conservative approach and your program. I'm reading what I can to understand what is happening with Ballard Power, name we've heard a lot over the years. Do you think they'll recover as suggested and that there's still a wise investment? Well, Ballard Power came into existence back in 1975, mid-70s, 1979, I'm sorry. My memory's slipping as I get old, Gordon. <laughs> and they went public in 1995. And after they went public, they hit um, $100 a share. And that was 20 years ago during the tech boom. And here's a company that has struggled for years to be profitable. And I went back as far as I could go, and I've never seen a year where this company actually ever made any money. For the last, well, since um, the early 80s, when I became familiar with it, it was always next year's story. So it's always a company that, if you watch it for the next year or two, hydrogen is, is going to be the next big thing powering cars. Well, I think eventually it will be the next big thing, but it's been the next big thing for 40 years. And so... You say you're a new investor, and you're a conservative investor. Well, new investors, it's a very complicated business. And also, if you're conservative, Ballard Power is not a conservative company. So I would suggest that if you're new to investing and you're conservative, you buy companies, frankly, that have earnings. And you buy companies that can have reasonable valuations. Could you play Ballard Power on a fling and trade it? Well, of course you can. But generally, if you're new to investing, this is the kind of thing that will really get you hurt. And of course, with Reddit and uh, with Wall Street bets and all the stuff that's going on right now, you go on these internet sites, and the amount of information you get on these companies is crazy. And I talked to a kid yesterday who just lost $25,000 trading uh, on some of these Wall Street bet ideas that came out in, in some of the chat rooms. And so when you're beginning your investment career, start with stuff that's conservative and start with stuff that you understand. And I'd recommend going back through some of our previous webinars that we put out and just take some time listening to some of them because they'll give you the investment foundation you need to start on the right foot. Conservative and companies that make money, a good place to start. Okay, if you have a question for the financial coach, Ron Hebert, you can uh, send them to us to our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or reach us as well through the cfcw.com portal. 
And we will attempt to answer those questions in upcoming episodes. Back next week with part two of mining. Big sector, lots of information here. Go back and listen to this one again. Make sure you're on the same page. And we'll join you next week with another edition of Making Money. Thanks for dropping by. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.